podcast. It's Friday, which means it's I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I'm joined today by Anthony Irwin. Anthony, what's up? You know, just sitting here in an apartment, there's no sports. Daman Rangula actually made a really good point on Twitter today. He said, like, so this is what life is like for people who don't love sports, like who hate sports. And man, I don't know how they do this. I don't understand how it's done. I just miss, like, the regular schedule of having something on, you know, like in the background on television or like, although like two weeks in, I've like stopped instinctively going to like my fantasy team and ESPN to check scores. So that's nice. At least I'm adapting. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's, there's just like a framework that's missing, right? Like there's, yeah. You, you plan your days around things and that's just gone. Well, I, I mean, obviously, there are legitimate victims of, of this entire situation across the world. Right. Um, so I don't want to make light of it in, in, in out of respect to, to all of them. But but also, my poor wife has to talk to me on a regular basis <laughs> a lot, a lot. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're stuck here. And she just has to deal with me and, and all of my idiosyncrasies. And, and, and like the other thing, too, is. Like, it'd be one thing if, you know, they, they, they shut down sports and there was, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know what, what, what like, how long this is going to take. So, like, every conversation, you feel like you have to stretch it that much further just or, or leave some stuff out of the conversation just in case you have to then have another conversation a little, a little while longer. You're just stuck. I, I, and, yeah, I, Jen, Jen's, Jen's going to be a saint – uh, or, or, or officially made a saint after all of this. Cause, cause it's been, I can only imagine I, I get sick of my own thoughts. Imagine them like having to hear them on a regular basis. Brutal. I'm not sure that's the way we want to sell a podcast. Um, but <laughs> you know, it's an idea. <laughs> it's actual punishment for Jen to listen to my thoughts. Hey, do you guys want to listen to my thoughts? touche touche we can always we can always cut this out i guess uh i think we had we we did kind of stumble upon an interesting topic here though uh as we're kind of forced to do given the stuff that we don't have to talk about usually and it just kind of like struck us while we were talking this is a really random question but you know we're looking back and a lot of people who are in charge of producing content are doing a lot of looking back on you know, X team or X era, X player, whatever. And, you know, it kind of hit us while we were talking about it. That I, I really feel like we took the three Pete Lakers for granted. And, uh, I, you know, that's kind of the central question of this. Do you, do you think we did? You know, it's funny. Um, every time I refer to the three Pete Lakers, I refer to them as the first three Pete, which is really weird because there hasn't been a three-peat since then. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like I expect another one to happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's it's so strange because we're, you know, both you and I grew up Laker fans. Like, this is the only NBA fandom we've ever experienced. Uh, and we both sort of came into it because this franchise has had 
like unprecedented amounts of success relative yeah. to other teams around the league, right? Like 16 championships, all of them in the modern era of the NBA. So like it's, you're accustomed to a certain level of winning with the Lakers. And maybe it's because of like that historical, you know, impression that was baked into us when we became fans that like we just expected the team to win at a certain point. So when they did, it was like, okay, so this is what it means to root for the Lakers. You know, it wasn't like this big joyous, like, oh my God, the Lakers won three championships in a row kind of thing. It was like, all right, so this is, this is our turn, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of analogize it to, you know, your first experience with anything, whether it's music or food or, or, you know, I don't, I don't even know what other experiences it might be, but imagine your, your first, you know, for a lot of people, it takes a certain amount of time to try sushi for the first time. And this was the example that we used in, in kind of pre-recording. But imagine your first experience in sushi is just this outlandish, just, you know, the greatest sushi chef ever, right? And the greatest experience, the best fish, the the best cuts, all this stuff. And, you know, from that point on, it kind of is going to hit you at some point yeah, I'm never going to have better sushi than that. Like I've, I've, I've climbed to the top of that mountain already. What are we going to, where, where do we go from here? And, you know, for a lot of people, basically our generation, well, your generation, um, you know, mine before you, but for a lot of people around, uh, you know, around our age, that, that was our introduction to basketball, you know, now my introduction to basketball technically was a little closer. I was, you know, I think you're, you're, you really start to recognize what you're watching. I think once you hit double digits, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so once you're like ten years old and above, you you can actually start to you know put thoughts together that aren't you know that that go a little further than, wow, Michael Jordan's really good at this, <laughs> you know. So you know, for me, technically, that would have been ninety six, ninety seven. That was you know the mid nineties Lakers were a lot of fun, but it wasn't you know, and, and Kobe was a rookie then, so. We didn't know what he was going to be quite yet, but only, you know, four or five years later, we're talking about one of the greatest runs in NBA history and one of the most dominant teams, you know, that 2000, 2001 team, that's one of the most dominant performances in postseason history, not just in basketball, but across all the sports. So for people about my age and younger, that's their introduction. You might not ever see basketball from a Laker team that well again that good again and you know i i really feel like that kind of like you said the expectation from those teams was yeah you guys if you if you didn't win it was a disappointment if you didn't the championship celebrations at the end especially by the third championship it wasn't so Mm -hmm. much like the gleeful celebration it was a relief almost oh thank god they won that we had to they they drug us through that season they better have won and and it's it's a really insane way to talk about a team. I'm sure there are a lot of fans out there of teams who haven't won championships who are saying, yeah, I, I really appreciate that you guys look back on a team and say, oh, yeah, we should have enjoyed that championship more. <laughs> but that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think what you said about when you make your first formative memories watching basketball really applies to me here because I was nine years old when the Lakers won their first title in 2000. So my first really vivid memories of like individual plays come from that season. Like I always mm-hmm. tell people the reason I became a diehard Laker fan was because of that lob from Kobe to Shaq in game seven of the Portland series. Like mm-hmm. 
that's what sold it for me. That's, I can point literally to that moment and be like, that's when I was in, I was done. You know, like there was no going back from it. And, you know, for me, the first three full seasons, I remember Lakers just won every year, you know, (laughs) and like even that first year they, they had what winning streaks of like 15 and 17 in that season. Mm -hmm. So it was the kind of thing where like, uh, my brother actually, he wouldn't ever bring in the paper. We subscribed to the LA times. He would never bring in the paper the day after the Lakers lost because he didn't want to see the sports section. (laughs) So It's kind of we, like not watching really Sports problem. Center after they yeah. lose, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we would just we'd still bring in the paper every day because they were always winning, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't an issue. Um, yeah. And so you know, for three years, and then like even the year that they didn't win in two thousand three, sort of felt like a respite, right? Because then they immediately brought in Cromwell and Gary Payton, and it was just like my my dad always told me about when he moved to L.A. in the eighties, and you know they won five titles in that decade, and it was just like the reason we root for the Lakers is because they're the best. We expect them to be the best. And so I, I never assumed after that 2004 season that it would take so long for the Lakers to become good again. And like, I mean, no one has won three titles since then. We may never like see it ever again. I know the way that the NBA contracts work and yeah. like the level of parity in the league and like so much superstar movement. I just, it's, it's a remarkable feat and I'm not sure we took full advantage of it just because like, I guess we just thought more good things were coming. Yeah. I I mean, that's that's really what it is. You get accustomed to a certain, you know, style of life and when it comes to your family, just in any, anything in general. And there we just mm-hmm. got used to, yeah, I, like just imagine, you know, for three years, every single meal when you go out, you know, or, or at least 85% of the meals that you go out for are going to be really effing good meals, right? Yeah. And then from there, you go from that to, all right, so you're going you're gonna to go from eating it, I don't know, like chop in or cut in, in Vegas to McDonald's four out of five nights, you know. know. <laughs> you know, it, it was, it, it took quite the contrast, but it took, you know, it took that stretch, I think, you know, and I think that's what made the, the back-to-back championships with Kobe that much more special because, you you did kind of understand, holy crap, that did take a lot. There there was no guarantee that the Lakers were gonna win those championships. And then and then you go from that to only a couple of years later, you have the Dwight Mayer season, then you have this rebuild and and again we're at this spot where I kinda of wonder, did I take did I take oh nine two thousand ten I don't think it was possible to take for granted because they beat the Celtics, but Exactly. Did we take that oh nine team for granted? Like, do, do we do we did we fully understand what we were watching there? Do we take do we take Kobe for granted? The idea that somebody would win five championships with the same organization again, mm-hmm. we may never see that again, right? Because I don't think Steph. I think those guys are at what three? Uh, yeah, Steph, Steph, and Clay and Draymond. Yeah. yeah, so they're they're at three. Uh, we know LeBron isn't going to win five championships with another with another with the same franchise. So like, you're kind of left saying like, man, do we take do we actually take Kobe for granted too? And and you would think after having gone through the experience of, you know, the the three Pete era to the Smush Parker era, that you wouldn't be in a spot where you would take even a player for granted. But I I think that's kind of just what the that's that's what we are spoiled with as Laker fans. Yeah, I mean, I think you make an interesting point about the 2010 Finals like not being overlooked because we played the Celtics. Do you think? Maybe the reason that um, if we do underappreciate the three-peat at all is just because the final series were kind of underwhelming. 
like the it felt like we had to work the hardest during the Western Conference playoffs, you know, like the series against Portland and the ones against Sacramento. Yeah. But like by the time we got out of the West, it was like, well, the Lakers are going to win this. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, I even I think even Eastern Conference teams, fans like the Pacers, the the Sixers and the Nets during the Lakers run, because even it wasn't like it was just the Lakers that the teams in the East struggled against, right? It wasn't until the Pistons that, you know, you had anybody give a Western Conference team even a run for their money in the finals. It was just, it was just you know, Western Conference finals, and then I guess we'll play another series, and hey, we have a champion, right? Now, I think that's a really good point. Let's take a quick second, and I think there's a couple other things to flesh out from this. It's really too bad, I guess... You know, because on one on one hand, it was kind of the first singular Kobe moment. It's kind of his his kind of moment where he ascended to to greatness. That that uh, game four in two thousand in the two thousand finals, right where where yeah. Shaq fouls out in overtime. Kobe's playing on a bum ankle. He beats the Pacers right. in Indiana, right? But if the Lakers don't win that that game, maybe that series goes you know a little bit longer. And is a little closer, but but yeah, I think that's the closest the Lakers ever got to uh, actual competition. Because from there they went to Philly, and right. Philly... even though they were down nothing against Philly, I never really had the sense that that season was in jeopardy. It it was like... it basically reminded me of you know the end of Pearl Harbor, where the general says like we just woke the sleeping dragon, right? Like even. Uh, yeah. Even even Sixers fans are probably like, ah, man, they're really gonna kick our ass. At least we got one. At least we got one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but yeah, do you do you are you? That's a really good point though about the the Celtics being a you know. I, I guess that's the only thing that it would take to to really fully understand what it is the Lakers are doing when they win a championship. Boy, could you just imagine being a Kings fan listening to this podcast? Good okay. lord, we sound awful. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I, I think it kind of comes back to the age thing, actually, because yeah. like when when the Lakers had their run in 2008, 9 and 10, like I remember everything about those series. You know, I can I can go back and like think of individual moments that decided individual games, like even in the losses. And maybe it's just like because I was older and more able to understand what was going on. And like the you could visibly see the toll that it was taking on Kobe and Pow and everyone else on the team, but like it, it was only two titles, but like I find myself in conversation going to bat for those Laker teams so much more than mm-hmm. the ones from 2000, 2002. And I wonder if it's because like there was like more, you know, potential for them to lose, you know, like they weren't as great, which I don't think is necessarily true. I think those were fantastic teams in that stretch. Um, but maybe it's just because like the Lakers were so far above the rest of the league from 2002 like the lack of competition made him i don't know like the their greatness was just like easier to take for granted because no one was challenging it yeah i i think i think another way to put this is you know expectations do so much to paint analysis right the expectation uh-huh. when you have Shaq, who was the best player in the nba at that time and right. kobe who was you know top three top five right top five if you really want to stretch it and mm-hmm. uh you know when you have that collection of talent at the top and 
you know, once they did it that first time, there's no longer any drama about like, will they ever figure it out? Because it did take a few years, right? It it did take firing Del Harris to finally figure out like, okay, yeah, let's, a- let's actually get these guys to the stratosphere that they kind of belong in. So at least mm-hmm. b- before they didn't, before they finally won, there was that question like, you know, is is Kobe too abrasive to win a championship? Is uh, are Shaq's free throws going to be a problem? Does he does he have you know back then it would have been you know some version of the knuckle dragging take of like does he have it? Does he have the clutch gene uh, to be able to win championships back then? Um, and then they won, and once they did that, once they got over that hump, it was it became the expectation. Whereas with even with Kobe and Powell, Kobe wasn't the best player in the league at that time. Powell was, you know, maybe a top 10-ish player, I would say, in the league at that time. So it wasn't the expectation that they were going to win. And, and in fact, I mean, I, I think they were expected to win the championship over Orlando. Uh, the, 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 the year that they faced, the first year that they faced Boston in the championship, Boston was supposed uh-huh. to beat the hell out of them, and then they did. Right. And then you had the grudge match, which could have gone either way. As evidenced by it going to that game seven, so there weren't there wasn't the, the just outright expectation of greatness from those teams, and it made it a lot easier to enjoy. And then, you know, we we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that it looked pretty obvious that Kobe and Powell actually enjoyed each other's existence. Whereas, like Kobe yeah. and Shaq, I don't think we can quite say that for. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, <laughs> guys, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, seeing people seem to like each other's company tends to make things more enjoyable. Yeah. Do you, do you think though? Because what we had so between the Showtime era and the Lakers of the of the three peat era, between those those eras of greatness, right? Those dynasties, <laughs> you didn't have quite the valleys that you have had since you know between the between the three peat and Kobe's back to back years, and then. Uh, between the the those Kobe back to back years to now, right? You've had some mm-hmm. pretty insane roller coaster type bumps here. Do you think that might help? You know, kind of contextualize the greatness a little more. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. Um, because even when the Lakers were like in the '90s, they were still a above average team. Like they yeah. were making the playoffs team. every year, I think, except for what '94, '95. They still had guys like Vladi Divac and Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and, you know, people making the all-star team on a regular basis. Uh, like, even when the Lakers were bad, I, like, they were never bad. They were just bad in comparison, right? Yeah. Which may be why 9-10 felt so much more satisfying because, you know, we saw that year where the Lakers did make – I guess it was only one year of not making the playoffs again. But, like, even when the Lakers did make to the, the playoffs and lost to Phoenix in the – first round those two consecutive years like you could tell that they were a cut below everybody mm-hmm. else it was incredibly obvious that they weren't just like you know one or two steps away like there was a dramatic overhaul you know that needed to be made in order for them to get to where they wanted to be right uh, so yeah like the thing with like 2000 it, it sort of felt like the natural next step like you know the lakers kept getting pretty far in the playoffs and just coming a beat short and then you bring in a new coach and it's like all right well this is what's supposed to happen mm-hmm. but like that 2007-8 team, the one that ended up losing to Boston, I think like Pete talks about this a lot, how much he loves that team, because we went into that season with no expectations. Yeah. like It's, my favorite, it's my favorite team demands. of all time. Yeah, Kobe's making trade demands during the summer, like talking about getting rid of Andrew Bynum for Jason Kidd, which 
dear God, would that have been a bad idea? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And like, I remember vividly opening night of that season, like uh, playing the Rockets and we're down by a lot and the Lakers make this massive run to send the game into overtime and then end up losing anyway on a Shane Battier game winner. Yeah. <laughs> First year at Duke. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the fact that it just sort of came out of nowhere, like the Lakers had no reason to be that good. And then everything just sort of came together and Lamar was better than we thought he was going to be. And Andrew Bynum got better than we thought he was going to mm-hmm. be. And then Memphis decided to punt, you know, for the next Gasol three years in the future, which still a good trade, by the way. <laughs> Mark Gasol did very good things for Memphis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think the element of surprise kind of makes you – appreciate things a little bit more and then like the fact that nine and ten came after losing in the finals you know it was sort of like this one large redemption arc yeah maybe that's why we think of it so much more fondly yeah i I think i think part of why you know that that the this the kobe's fourth and fifth titles i think why you know those were a little bit maybe potentially easier to see coming was because kobe was still always there so you felt like because so long as Kobe was on the team, you felt like the Lakers couldn't be that far from winning a championship, right? Whereas like when he retired right. and they went into the full rebuild era, like there are times where I felt like, God, am I ever going to see another Lakers championship? Right? Like what's going on here? Yes, I was really high on D'Angelo Russell and I thought maybe he and Lonzo might be able to figure it out. Oh, nope, D'Angelo Russell is going to be traded. Uh, so let's see what Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram are going to be able to do. Uh, oh, hey, LeBron wants to sign here. Okay, now we're back to maybe at some point having a chance. But during that rebuild, I think that's probably the first time that any Laker fan, any generation of Laker fan has probably felt like, you know what, maybe maybe that that 2010 championship, maybe that was it for us. And that's probably the mm-hmm. first time this fan base has ever said that. So I, I, I really feel like it's probably going to make whatever championship they win next, unfortunately – hopefully there's a season uh, in which they have a chance to win this championship but whatever championship they win next i do think that's probably going to be one of the sweeter ones in the history of the franchise because there was a time where we legitimately didn't know if they were ever going to be there again yeah i think there was like a a three or four year stretch where the lakers had fewer wins than any team in the league and like yeah that's including the Suns and the, the Knicks, Knicks and yeah. every other trash organization that exists in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Lakers weren't just bad. They were historically awful. Yeah, laughable. And like, uh, I mean, I know the, the Lakers switched to – we were talking about this before, too. The Lakers switched to Spectrum in 2013 <laughs> uh, or 2012-13, like before the Dwight season. Um, I didn't switch to Spectrum until four years later because <laughs> – I just couldn't stand watching the team on a regular basis. <laughs> like, the first year we were on national TV half the time anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. I just, like, went over to a friend's house when, like, the game wasn't available on TNT or ABC. But literally That's three a- years, I just refused to switch to this package because it was not a worthy team to watch. <laughs> What's funny is, like, the Dodgers are kind of another example of that where – were a, a kind of different example of that where like the Lakers so they go to Spectrum and then they weren't carrying Laker games and enough people made a stink about it that DirecTV wound up picking up the Spectrum Lakers channel and then the Dodgers right. saw that and they were like oh yeah we'll get that kind of support and then they didn't <laughs> 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 so like 
So it's kind of funny to see the, the dichotomy between those reactions there. And actually, you know, it's a good thing that uh, that first year that the Lakers were with Spectrum, they had Dwight, they had Nash, they had every... So there was a lot of reason for Laker fans to make a big stink about it that first year that they mm-hmm. might not be able to watch Laker games. But if the, if that Spectrum deal goes into effect a year later... And at the, the, <laughs> at the beginning... At the beginning of the the Lakers uh, rebuild, there, I think there might be a decent chance that they don't get the groundswell of support, uh, and 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 might not. They might have a Dodger situation or a Nugget situation where games just aren't televised in the majority of households across LA. That'd be wild. That's yeah, a fun little sliding doors moment to think about. Yeah, right. That would be really strange. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we we figured out. Yeah, we, we we got through twenty five minutes of show. <laughs> do, what do you, what's our verdict here? Do we underrate them? Should we be appreciating that three P more? I I definitely think so, honestly. Yeah, and I I don't think it's a kind of thing that you can just kind of say like, okay, yeah, now I understand, right? It's kind of a missed opportunity for a lot of people. I in my opinion, anyway, that like, yeah, I don't think for one thing, I don't think we're ever going to see a three P again, and then for another thing, I'm not sure. I guess I guess we might see you know a, like two top five players, uh, yeah. you know, on the same team, but but like that level of greatness at the top of the roster, right? Like like LeBron and Anthony Davis, they're probably two mm-hmm. top five ish players in the NBA. But I'm not sure we're going to look back on Anthony Davis's career the same way that we do with Kobe or the same way we do with Shaq, right? Or like the, the that all time pairing, that that all time great pairing where. Uh, it's just two bona fide, just absolute like, top 10 players in the history of the league type talent. I'm not sure we'll see that again. So you combine all that. Uh, I really do feel like we take that 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 three-peat era for granted. You, would you, know, you agree? The only thing is like when I was that age watching those 2000, 2002 Lakers, I didn't really know that many people outside of L.A. So everyone mm. in my life was a Laker fan. Yeah, and I feel like part of the joy of celebrating your team is getting to rub it in other people's faces, <laughs> and I didn't get to do that as much. <laughs> well, now that you you, you kind of help cover the Kings, like you really got a lot of people to rub stuff you know in their oh, noses yeah. for. So. Delightful. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> this thanks for taking the time to do this, Anthony. <laughs> Anytime. This was a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad we kind of stumbled upon a, a fun topic. This is probably going to be. It's probably better. Get, it's going to be better than Harrison's topic or whatever it was this week. So we did good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, before I uh, you know trash my boss too much, uh, you've been listening to this Lower Screen Roll podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and have a nice weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah,